Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, I hope everybody is nice and relaxed after their Christmas holidays. And well, we got one more to celebrate. Here we are. We're about to turn the clock over to 2018. We've got so much to talk about today. In fact, uh, we're going to relive some of the some of the highlights of the year, and it's been one heck of a year. So I want to share, you know, some of the highlights that we felt through this past year in real estate. Joining me now is no stranger to Simply Real Estate. It is Mr. Kelvin Cousy. He is Deputy Registrar at RICO. And if you don't remember what RICO, the acronym is, it stands for Real Estate Council of Ontario. And welcome back, Kelvin. It's good to be back. Let's start off by letting our listeners know what RICO is. Well, we are the public oversight of people who trade in real estate in Ontario. So salespersons, brokerages, brokers, we educate, monitor, and make sure that they are representing the public interest. Being licensed for so many years, I would probably say, you know, some people call you the watchdog. Some people, absolutely, we don't like to refer you to the real estate police, but the truth is you do watch over making sure that realtors don't break the rules. Uh, a lot of rules that came into place, of course, REBA 2002, Yes, which um, I understand is now under things being looked at. Uh, real estate's changed a lot and there's Absolutely. a lot changing in your ball court right now. Absolutely. There's all manner of circumstances and what you're referring to, uh, just to help your listeners, is there's a REBA review that the government has kicked into play and a little bit of a result of a lot of public scrutiny on certain conduct that rose about a year ago around Around this time, and there was a, a couple of media coverage uh, issues on CBC and other ones where a little bit of things, specifically dual agency, was put in the spotlight and was very critical uh, sure. of what was going on in the Toronto market in particular. Let's talk about the punishment, penalties, fines <laughs> realtors are going to incur if they go offside. Can you tell us how that came about and now where are they at? What the one of the proposals was in the REBA review that's ongoing right now is the suggestion that uh, under our code of ethics, and there's a bunch of different um, avenues to prosecute wrongdoing under our act, the Real Estate and Business Brokers Act, and under our code of ethics, which lays out uh, about 40 obligations for real estate uh, salespeople to follow, we had a maximum of a $25,000 penalty per occurrence. And uh, some people thought, well, you know, that's Oftentimes, with the market as inflated as it is, sure. uh, with people making lots of money on commissions and double lending and that sort of thing, that um, even when you got into the higher end of the fines, that was seen or perceived as a, a cost of doing business. If you're if you're making sixty thousand dollars off a trade sure. and you pay a fifteen thousand dollar fine, well, you know. It, it was worth it in the end type of mentality. And so the proposals have been to amp those uh, penalties up. And so it's to put it in line with other violations under our act that would be prosecuted in the courts where an individual is a maximum of 50,000 and uh, corporations or brokerages would be up in the $100,000 range. And that's sort of what the discussion is about now. It's sort of make it more painful for people to breach the code of ethics. When we take a look at the sheer numbers, as you mentioned, you know, it could be one transaction, there's your fine, you know, cost of doing business. A lot of times people sit there and say, well, that's not enough. Is it? Well, I think the fine is one aspect of a means of sanction to change behavior, because that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to punish people. We're trying to change behavior where they come to a crossroads in dealing in a trade and they know the right way. And then there's a 
uh, what, for lack of a better characterization, a crime of opportunity. And they can turn left or they can turn wrong. We want to encourage them to turn left as opposed to going down that path. And one thing that we would like to see from uh, Rico's perspective, and this is in our REBA review proposal, is the idea of suspending at the discipline committee level. So this is without having to go to an outside third party to tell us that we can do this, sure. that the tribunal of peers can say, you know what, Todd, in this circumstance, the fine's one thing, but you know, because you were acting with such indifference sure. towards your client's interests, right. we're going to suspend you for six months or you know in some instances we're going to revoke your ability to practice right. and we think that's a much bigger stick um, to encourage people if you turn around and said to a realtor hey they'll look at it and say fine i'll do another deal and i'll pay the fine exactly. turn around and say listen you can't do another deal then they're going to have to go back to their full-time job <laughs> <laughs> and certainly the the idea of being able to suspend practice is, uh, other regulators have that authority and power and that's one thing that we would like to see some movement on with that. And who better to determine that than an internal committee that is attuned to the workings of the industry itself and be able to shape remedies that are really going to have uh, an impact on bad behavior to prevent recidivism? Because that's really what we're all about. Rico, have another partner in the ring. You never had this partner before uh, until this year. Of course, uh, Ontario Real Estate Association has now stepped up. They actually are trying to make requests for, let's steepen the fines, let's do a lot of things. There's been kind of a shift in the mindset. Why now? Is it just because we came through probably one of the nastiest markets we've seen in years? It's an excellent question. But to your question of our new partner, Aurea has always been around and they've always had a very positive influence on the industry itself. The key distinction is they represent the industry. They're a trade association right. and we represent the consumer interest. And our mandate is very simple and very direct. It's protect the consumer mandate to the best extent that we provide uh, under the Real Estate and Business Brokers Act. We have always been companions in that journey of consumer protection. And certainly the movement now is we think it's a positive. Absolutely. If the trade association itself is saying our membership needs to be dealt with in a more stiffer manner, if you will, let's not minimize fines and let's, let's make sure that there's a lot of deterrence out there. We welcome that support and we will certainly anticipate when that legislation comes out that they will be shoulder to shoulder with us with those announcements for the 74,000 thousand individual registrants in Ontario. How about we now go to the other part of the equation? There's two people that are normally in any transaction. You've got a buyer and a seller. Both typically will be under contract of some form. Both are supposed to be represented professionally, responsibly. Normally, if a realtor is representing one or both parties, they're looking for remuneration. This is normally done, <laughs> of course, by a listing agreement. Let's talk about two sides of the coin here. You've Absolutely. got a seller if we start off with the seller this is normally when we've got a realtor the seller decides that they're going to hire that realtor under a contract when people look at contracts basically they look at two things commission and price when you take a look at the actual listing agreement there is a lot more that people aren't aware There's a of. lot of boilerplate in that agreement what we really encourage people to do is once they've decided, once they've done their own due diligence and they've talked to a number of different real estate professionals who they want to potentially list their property with, to take away the agreement that there's being proposed and take the time to read through it. Because there, as you say, exactly and accurately, there's a lot of different wiggles and turns in some of the language. Certainly, their chosen professional 
should walk them through and answer any and all questions. And if they're not getting the answers that they want, they should be talking to that person's broker of record, who's the person who's running the brokerage, or even their potential real estate lawyer, just to make sure they understand all the necessities of things. But the focus is, okay, you know, whatever the rate of commission is, is talk about how that applies. What happens if somebody else sells in a cooperating brokerage concept, or what happens if you sell it on your own as a dual agent? You bring a buyer to me because you're promising me all sorts of buyers, uh, and that's why I'm listing with you, Todd. Mm -hmm. What are you going to end up putting in your pocket, and what's the benefit to me doing that? And also, elements of just simply how long am I contracted with you for, and the question of well, what if I'm unhappy with your representation? We're friends now, yeah. but two weeks down the road where my house is stale on the market, yeah, I'm not happy you? with you. Yeah. What happens then? And oftentimes, a lot of the complaints we get in is people who are trying to get out of listing agreements where they're, for whatever reason, it's just there hasn't been a good selection process and matching of a salesperson with the needs and wants and desires of a seller, and they want out. And unfortunately, you're under a legally binding contract for the duration of that contract. There are also so rules about soliciting other real estate sales professionals and what they can and cannot do during the time that you're under that contract. To be a successful realtor, first and foremost, you guys would never know their name because they shouldn't be coming across <laughs> your board. But most importantly, it's somebody that puts their client ahead of their own personal needs. Well, and that's the definition of a fiduciary. And the courts right. have, you know, up to the Supreme Court of Canada have said, you know, real estate agents like lawyers and like other professionals, they owe the duty of care is primarily and first to their client. Issues like dual agency and multiple representation, it's always problematic. We recognize that the people who want to become real estate professionals want to do so and they want to make a living at it and they want to sure. do it right. We are proud of how the vast majority of our registrants conduct themselves and they are very professional and it sure. is a tough job. You know, it's not some nine to five punch a clock and you're done and it's a demanding occupation. I kind of say it half tongue in cheek, you know, realtors keep divorce lawyers in business because their hours are horrible and people have to understand that realtors work when nobody else does typically. Exactly. When you're available, yeah. that's when I start working as a realtor and yeah. oftentimes it's late nights, it's weekends when you'd rather be up at the cottage sure. with your daughter on the pontoon boat, but yep. you have to do an open house or you have yep. to do something to represent these interests of these people who are demanding and they recognize and consumers are savvy. They recognize you know, you're making a lot of money off this trade. So sure. I demand your attention at and all And your times. availability. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Rico had flown under the radar for so long. And one of the things that I will commend you for and Rico is that you guys have really stepped up. I would call it almost your marketing or public awareness that you are now more oh, involved because people don't realize that they're really is you out there to be able to help mitigate a serious situation when it arises? Not only a serious situation, but significant financial implications mm -hmm. uh, where people can really be harmed and be taken advantage of. I started off at RICO as a prosecutor and it, there was a lot of very emotional prosecutions where people were really taking in and they were just being honest and perhaps a bit gullible and right. they really got jerked around by unscrupulous people. Again, I commend RICO uh, 100% for making the public more aware because at this point, especially with today's technology, I think people rely so much on technology, but yet they're not actually getting the, the hardcore facts. Kelvin, always a pleasure. My pleasure. Best way for our listeners to reach Rico. At our website, reco.on.ca, so rico.on.ca. Excellent. Thanks so much. Folks, that was Mr. Kelvin Cousy. He is Deputy Register of Rico. Coming up, 
after this, I've got Sean Hillebrand. He is Senior Vice President of Urban Nation, so he's going to be joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. Uh, if you're just tuning in, my next guest is uh, an expert in this field. His name is Mr. Sean uh, Hildebrand, and he is Senior Vice President of Urbanation. And Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you. Urbanation, can you tell us what your company does? We're a research firm that's focused on the Toronto real estate market. We have a specialty in reporting and analyzing trends on the condominium and rental apartment sectors in particular. And we produce market feasibility studies for developers looking to construct new apartment buildings. So, you know, obviously, uh, you know, all our listeners know that Toronto has been growing like crazy. We see a lot of cranes in the sky and, you know, but uh, some of the reports right now are saying, you know, we're not keeping up with demand. In fact, over the next few years, there's going to be a real shortage of buildings. Um, is this true? And what kind of numbers are we are we dealing with today and and in the future? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of um, counterintuitive to a lot of people to, to sort of see that there's all these construction cranes around town and to think that we could possibly be underbuilding condo apartments. But it is actually the, the case, and we've been seeing that in the numbers. There's about fifty five thousand condos under construction across the Greater Toronto area. And that's a level that's been pretty steady over the past few years. But as that has sort of leveled out, what we've seen is that the population has been growing. And the demand for condo apartments has been growing even quicker than the demand for uh, single-family homes. What we've seen is that the inventory that's actually available for purchase in the high-rise sector has fallen. Even though we're witnessing this continued condo development boom, the level of, of inventory to actually purchase a new condo apartment is at one of the lowest levels that we've seen in the past 15 years. So this is putting some pressure on pricing, obviously. You know, condos have always been viewed as that sort of entry point for first-time buyers to get into the marketplace. They've been affordably priced. But now what we're seeing is that, you know, the average price of a condo has risen up to $500,000. And uh, a lot of first-time buyers are starting to get priced out as a result. It's actually been putting a lot of pressure on the rental market, which in turn has also put a lot of pressure on the condo stock. Because as we know, a lot of condos are bought by investors who use them as rental properties. And the numbers that have just come out from CMHC on vacancy rates have also revealed that there's a shortage of rental properties. The vacancy rate for condo apartments in the city is less than 1%. So even though we continue to build all these new condo apartments, the demand has been far outstripping supply. When we talk about condominiums, um, and, and as you alluded to, there's a lot of them being built. And of course, the huge surge in condominiums, we've seen the prices jump. Now, you know, entry point is almost at $800 per square foot. We're seeing one-bedroom condos selling in that four to $500,000 range. But, you know, it does doesn't seem like our rents, I mean, we've seen a big increase in rents over the last couple of years, but quite frankly, it still seems like they're a little stagnant in comparison to the actual purchase price, which if you're an investor coming in with, you know, 20 or 25% down, you're still not in a positive cash flow position. Is this going to limit people, uh, you know, a little bit from the idea of buying something and renting it out? Or are we seeing more speculators hopping into this market saying, hey, look, you know, maybe I'm going to lose a little bit of money from my cash flow, but down the road, it's going to be worth more? Um, well, the traditional way of, of investing in condos is that you buy a pre-construction condo and then you wait for the rents in the marketplace to appreciate to a point where it actually turns out that, that there is some positive cash flow. So that's worked out quite well in the past. So investors that have seen... Their units come to completion, let's say, over the last 12 months, uh, for the most part, are, have actually been in a standpoint because they had that 20% down payment, and they've seen rents grow by considerable amounts just over the last few years. But you're right. Prices have been rising much quicker than rents in the last couple of years, and the economics are going to be 
more challenged, I would say, for the investors that are buying pre-construction units today. So they're going to have to be very careful at the price points at which they're uh, they're buying, and they're going to have to to, to to factor in obviously higher interest rates as we're starting to see those move up, and the fact that rents may not be as high as they expect. There could be some shorter-term uh, investors in the marketplace today versus what we've seen historically. That's a problem for the market because we've come to rely on condo investors to be our primary source of new rental supply. As you know, we we don't build that many traditional purpose-built rental apartment buildings, and we probably will continue not to see a a significant level of purpose-built rental development in light of the extension of new rent controls. So when condo investors are really what we need to continue to act as the primary source of new supply, the big run-up in prices obviously jeopardizes that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, and, and, and I'm glad you touched on it, the fact that they've now got rent control for all properties and uh, with the with the latest release in the provincial government back in the spring. But also the fact is is that they're also not encouraging developers even by incentivizing them to be able to c- come in and build more purpose-built rentals. Yeah, there, there was a small incentive offered through a development charge rebate. I think it was $125 million over five years. It, it just simply isn't enough. We're still seeing demand uh, to build purpose-built rentals, but it's more mostly from larger institutional investors. That rebate is really meaningless for them. What we need to see is the smaller or mid-sized developers come in and start and start adding, you know, the additional supply that we need. Um, you, know, th- you know, there's a lot of things that the government can do to help encourage the smaller investor to come in, you know, provide sort of preferential treatment for new rental developers to build rental as opposed to condo, um, give them a rolling exemption on rent control uh, for the first few years after completion, um, give them a break on development charges, some tax incentives, other things like that. Um, you know, the, the data that we're seeing that's coming out in, in you know, the census, the, the CMHC releases, our data, are all pointing very clearly to an undersupply of rental apartments. And in our view, unless we double the level of rental construction from where it is right now, we're going to continue to face a severe shortage over the next 10 years. And vacancy rates face very little prospect of rising above where they are right now, which I mentioned is, is basically 1%. In the condo market, it's even less than 1%. Do you see the next few years really being a huge demand for people owning condominiums and renting them out? Yeah, I, I think that the condo market and the rental market are probably going to be uh, one of your best performers in the Toronto real estate market um, in the next couple of years. And, and that really is an, an affordability situation. If, if you look at affordability conditions as they are right now for the average priced home, they're at their worst since the early 1990s, and, and you know we know how the housing market performed back then. It was quite it was quite weak. But the difference now is that we have substitution products, whereas we didn't have that many condominiums back in the early 1990s. So buyers that are priced out of the single-family home market can gravitate towards condo apartments, and then those that are priced out of buying a condo can actually rent one. So I think these are sort of the market segments that are going to perform best. The problem is, and, 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 and we've released some research with Ryerson University on this topic, is that we haven't been building necessarily the right product mix of, of condos. So we expect to see demand within the condo market start to diversify. So it's not going to be just your entry-level first-time buyers getting in and buying one-bedroom apartments, but it's also going to be those individuals who can't buy a single-family home but want to live in the city and are looking for a two-bedroom apartment within a more mid-rise building in a neighborhood setting. Those are the types of buildings that we haven't been building enough of, and we're, we're experiencing a shortage of supply of that right now. And we're calling on uh, you know the industry to start taking another look at this and, and, and encouraging developers and providing some incentive to come in 
and build along the avenues and, and, and construct new apartment buildings within the neighborhood setting so we can accommodate downsizers moving from single-family homes, bring up some supply on the low-rise side, but also allowing families to stay within the city and you know get into the market and stay within the market at a relatively affordable price point. If you look at the average price of a single detached home in Toronto right now, it's about 1.3 million. Uh, even a semi or a townhouse is eight or nine hundred thousand dollars. What we're missing are two bedroom, uh, two bedroom plus den units that are six, seven hundred thousand dollars. There's very few of those. Even though that sounds quite expensive, that's kind of the missing middle portion of the, of the Toronto housing market right now. Sean, it's uh, been great having you on today, and I appreciate all your information, and definitely we'll have to follow up in the new year with you and see where the market's going. That's great. Thanks for having me. Folks, that was Mr. Sean Hildebrand, and he is Senior Vice President of Urbanation. And coming up, I've got Melanie Pichet talking to me about the latest ruling with Treb. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I said just before the break, uh, my next guest is uh, Melanie Pichet, and she is a broker at Sage Real Estate Limited. And um, we're going to be talking today about the latest ruling, which we talked about last week, that uh, Treb finally has to uh, take the handcuffs off and actually uh, release information on sales. And welcome to the show, Melanie. Hi, thank you. So, um, first, first and foremost, uh, maybe you can tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself. Uh, I understand you've been in the business for a long time and um, and and very active. Yeah, I run a uh, the Brawl team with my husband. We're a team of twelve agents working in Central Toronto, and uh, we are buying and selling. I mean, the typical real estate stuff. <laughs> so, you know, a lot in the news, obviously, in the last little while regarding um, the TREB ruling that has now come down about information. Now, but this has been in, this has been in play for quite a few years. There's been a lot of fighting going back and forth. And, and of course, uh, we're talking about the Competition Bureau uh, saying that, you know, TREB finally has to re- let people have access to the information without tying that to an agent. But it almost sounds a little counterproductive, you being an agent. And, you know, I've had a lot of agents kind of reach out to me saying, hey, Tom, this is this is our information. We own it. You know, we've got to keep everything private. Um, but yet, you've you've got a completely different take on it. Yeah, I'm I'm certainly one of the people who thinks that you know the public should have a right to more information. And I'm not alone. I mean, there are a lot of realtors who recognize that in any other industry out there, a data is public. I mean, that's what people expect nowadays. Well, the the biggest thing is, and and you know, one of the things that uh, if you ever tune into the show, um, I am a huge um, person to to tell people that you need to work with a, a um, professional realtors at all times. Okay, I, I I'm a big believer in experience, effort, you know, marketing, negotiation. People that have been in the industry for for a very long time, people know that I've been at it for 25 years. One of the biggest thing that um, I've always believed is that you should be able to give knowledge, but yet we find that especially going through the recent market of 2017, a lot of agents, the only thing that they had to offer people was really the inside information on the real estate systems. Well, and I think the the analysis and the interpretation of that data, I think, is the value that we bring as realtors. It's not just giving a sold price. I mean, I think if that's the value that somebody brings to the table, they shouldn't be in the business. 
So for your for yourself, um, do you think that we're going to see a lot of companies? I mean, we've already seen a couple pop up that are starting to release information. You know, some some of these uh, some of these websites have actually had about forty thousand hits with people trying to find mm-hmm. out information on sales. Do you think we're going to see this? I mean, some people are kind of sitting on the fence because they know that Treb wants to fight it a little, and you know, it, they they may get a stay in the action. So, what do you think? Are are we do we have to kind of wait to make sure that uh, you know? the final the final nail goes in their coffin or is it going to be that this could get reversed i mean i think there are a lot of companies waiting for this ruling to to take place and you know everyone's kind of waiting now to see if there's going to be an appeal i was one of the people who used to send out sold information uh, until i got shut down a couple of years ago so i think there's a lot of nervousness with realtors about going against the real estate board's position right now so i certainly won't be starting that up again until we've got the full go-ahead but to me that's the opportunity is for us to control the sharing of the information rather than having outside companies come in and do it and that's exactly what happened in the u.s and i think that's what we're going to see happen here well, you know, as as I mentioned, there's a couple of websites that just uh, absolutely went through the roof within the last week. You yeah. know, and the number of hits that they've had is is you know astronomical. I almost think that um, you know people may eventually you know kind of step back off the ledge once they've been able to do it. Then they'll, I think they'll start realizing the true value of what I would call or term the professional agent, as you said, mm-hmm. being able to understand the information, not just turn around and provide it. But there's a lot more services um, that agents can offer and especially when you're analyzing let's say a listing when uh, when you when you sit down with somebody and, and and let's just talk about yourself as a professional in the industry mm-hmm. when you sit down with somebody and you you look at pricing houses you know one of the things I always had experience was everybody turns around they said yeah well my house is nicer than that so my house <laughs> should be worth more when you analyze it how, how do you take your clients through those steps because those are kind of the important ones for people understanding how, you know, where do you get value from well, I think, you know, being aware of, of the, having been in the actual houses makes a big difference, right? It's one thing to look at, you know, my neighbor sold down the street, so I must be worth the same as them. Um, but actually knowing what those houses look like on the inside, I mean, there's a lot that goes into figuring out what a price, what the right price is. I mean, 90% of people think their house is the best house on the street. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's of course. the way. Before we meet with someone who's thinking of selling, we send of a, a questionnaire out just so we know where their heads are at and we ask them how does your house compare to everybody else around you everybody thinks their house is a nine out of ten <laughs> and that it's better than 90 percent of them out there so our job is being able to interpret the differences being able to put value on things like parking and finished basements and different lot sizes and you're not getting that just from a piece of sold data i mean there's so much more that goes into that as well as knowing what's happening in the market at that specific time I mean, listing a house this week is different than listing a house last month, and it's certainly going to be different next month. And having that ability to know, you know, what the buyers are feeling and seeing and doing at that particular time is the critical piece to being able to price a house properly. See, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Now, let's talk about the spring market and what we faced in 2016. You know, a very, very unusual market, one that we haven't seen. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't even say the 89.90 run-up was even close because it happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. And when we take a look at the stats coming from January through to April, um, you know, and, 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 and they really, you know, I would I would agree with some people's comments when they said, you know, you didn't need to do much. You needed just to underprice the house and the market will find itself. Yeah. Um, you know, that was that was not even 
I don't think the information, I don't think the skill set was necessary in a market like that. Um, I think that in today's market, now that we've seen it soften up and you don't nearly have the same aggression, then this is where, again, people like yourself, professionals, are going to rise to the top. But, you know, if you if you can share with us back in the spring market, it must have been crazy for you at some points because you're, you're being faced down with 20, 30, 40 offers. And this is where actually your skill set on, on how, how to be fair with everybody, but yet get the best price for your, for your uh, seller is the most important thing. Absolutely. I mean, I think even in, in that crazy spring market, I mean, yes, any house could sell. Absolutely. Didn't need a photo, didn't need anything. You didn't have to do anything, it would sell. But, but getting the highest price did take a lot of skill and, and staging and marketing and, and strategy on how to get that highest price. So I would argue that, you know, that, that professional skill set was really important back then. Now, of course, it's more important because you can't just put a house sign on the lawn and expect your house to sell. And for those of us, you know, we've got a full-time staging team in-house, we've got a staging warehouse. I mean, those kinds of things really make a difference now. And it's not necessarily just money, but it's the difference between selling a house and not selling a house. So I think for those of us who've always taken it very seriously and looked at marketing beyond the MLS, I mean, this is really when we're going to see our skills that are actually appreciated by our clients. Well, especially you know we've we've got we're facing uh, 2018 with again a new obstacle being the mortgage rules with the stress test. You know they're predicting that we're going to see a bit of a hit to the market. Um, right now we're we're still kind of recovering from everything that's been implemented in 2017. You know the the 16 mm-hmm. point approach by the Wynn government, of course, was uh, you know oh such a welcome thing. Uh, <laughs> and then of course you know uh, a little bit of a blip up in in interest rates. Of course uh, they got rid of the incentive. So I think that um, 2018 is going to be an interesting year. What, what's your take on it? Are we still going to see some hot market or are we going to see it start to kind of normalize? I mean, we're certainly seeing that balancing happening right now. I don't love the, the stats that came out this week about the number of active listings. I don't know if you had a look at them, but last year in November, there were, I think it was 8,600 active listings. This November, 18,000. Right. Like that's a huge number of properties for a market to absorb. So I think we are going to see, you know, a slowdown like we normally see in January and February. Um, but that much more just because there's a lot of listings to absorb. And what we're seeing that the sellers on the market now are different than the ones that were on the market in May and June when we had a crazy amount of listings. Back then, everyone was trying to cash in and, you know, took a chance and, to see if they could sell it or not. Now we've got real sellers who need to sell. So, you know, price is going to come down a little bit in January and February. I expect they will. Okay. Well, um, Melanie, what is, the, uh, what is the best way for our listeners to reach you? Our website is getwhatyouwant.ca, and that's uh, the easiest way to get in touch with us. Excellent. Well, listen, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today, and I greatly appreciate all your insight. All right. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Thanks. And folks, that was Melanie Pichet, and she is the broker at Sage Real Estate. When we come back, stay with us. We've got Mr. Benjamin Tall joining us, so we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Um, as I had mentioned just before we went to the break, um, my next guest, uh, you're very familiar with this gentleman if you have uh, have been following what's going on in the markets, both financial and real estate. It is Mr. Benjamin Tall, and he is Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC. And welcome back to the show, Mr. Tall. Thank you. A pleasure. Um, it's always a pleasure to have you on, sir. And, you know, one of the things I was hoping that you and I could do today is actually do a little bit of a recap for 2017 because we saw so many 
events in the real estate market, almost an unprecedented year um, when we when we look back at it. Everything from the market kind of having an incredible blip through the spring, the provincial government implementing a 16-point approach to try to cool the real estate market, Bank of Canada raising the rate twice. Now we've got the new uh, mortgage threshold coming in for the stress test coming in in January 1st. And most recently, uh, Treb losing um, the, 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 I guess, the bout to hang on to all the information with the Competition Bureau stepping in saying, no, uh, you need to release all the information. It's been a real eventful year, uh, 2017. Absolutely. And you know what? Uh, 2016 was an extremely strong year for real estate. In fact, a crazy year something that we were unable to explain using just fundamentals. So clearly something very bad happened in 2016. So the slowdown that we are seeing now is basically undoing 2016. Nothing more than that, nothing less than that. Now, clearly, you're absolutely right that regulations are playing a significant role in trying to slow down the market. And, um, you know, the changes by the government... um, they are important. They are not the main reason why the market is slowing. First of all, I think that there is gravity. Gravity, like in Vancouver, is taking place because uh, people are starting to take profit. We have seen it uh, starting in the second quarter of 2017. Then the government introduced the 16-point program, as you mentioned. I don't think that this by itself led to a significant slowdown. I think it more what people believe it will do. It's not the actual action, but what people think the action will do. So that's exactly what we've seen in um, Vancouver. And as you know, in Vancouver, we have seen the market uh, stabilizing and, in fact, improving because when you don't deal with the real issue, which is supply, uh, you know, everything that you do is temporary at best. Uh, now, we, are, we started to see the GTA market uh, recovering, and then, of course, it's starting to slow down again because of uh, increased supply as the market expecting um, uh, the implementation of the you know, changes to uh, qualifying rates, which is a big thing. So a lot of things happening, absolutely, and there will be a lot of fog. I think that the first half of the year will be not so great. Uh, We might see prices go down. We might see activity stabilizing or going down. But again, you are not dealing with the real issue. So from a long-term perspective, uh, this place will become even less affordable. But uh, between now and then, we might see a year or two of a slowdown. And remember, there will be another recession coming. That clearly will soften the market. All this is positive because what we have seen in 2016 was simply too, too crazy. Well, a few months ago, you and I had spoken and we talked about um, when they implemented the 16-point approach. And at that time, we we almost thought that the market already had kind of hit its crest all by itself. And as it did in uh, in Vancouver uh, back in May of 2016 as well, before they then put into the foreign buyer tax in August. So we actually saw the market almost ready to self-adjust but then of course we had the I call it interference in a way by the government I know I know they're trying to do something that's proactive but I think it's almost like an artificial cooling and when we talk about uh, inventory this is this has been one thing that you and I've had a you know I, I think a common sense of we just don't have enough inventory in the marketplace even though we're seeing a number of listings coming on this is very short term in the long-term approach we don't have nearly enough uh, properties being built and the government seems to still constrain the builders from being able to develop at a quicker rate. 
Absolutely, and here we have to discuss uh, low rise versus high rise. Uh, clearly, the low rise market is undersupplied, and it will become even worse. Uh, you see, if you look at the market as a well, whole, we have basically three segments to the market. We have a new low rise uh, developments, which are ve- you can count them, you know, <laughs> on your fingers. It's very, very a small number. Simply, there is no supply, and as you suggested, the government is making it even worse by making the places to grow act more uh, restrictive. So that's one aspect. Then you have the existing pool of uh, real estate, namely all those existing uh, houses, uh, detached houses. Those were the real winners of the past decade, 15 years. Their prices went up. This market is very, very stable, very inelastic. It's not really moving anywhere anytime soon. That's stable, that's static. And then you have the condo market that is trying to compensate for the lack of supply in the new low-rise market. And the condo market uh, had a very bad year in 2017 uh, uh, because the completions was very, very low. And now it's starting to actually recover, and we're starting to see overshooting in the in the condo market. We are seeing roughly three, uh, 36,000 sales uh, in one year. That's very significant. So uh, this market probably will slow down a little bit um, in the next year because we're overshooting a little bit. But you must have the condo market to replace the low-rise market. So again, we will have some noise over the next year or two, but the big picture is that um, we simply live in a place that is becoming less and less affordable. Yeah. Um, folks, if you're just tuning in, I have Mr. Benjamin Tall joining me, and he is the Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC. And Mr. Tall, um, one of the things, of course, this past week, the Bank of Canada decided to stay pat on the rate. And, you know, they've been they've been saying that, you know, they're just they're taking a very, uh, you know, careful approach. In 2018, should we, you know, be realistically looking at several increases in the bank rate? The short answer is yes, but I think it's probably less than what the market is expecting. We see the Bank of Canada raising interest rates maybe twice. Uh, we have to remember that there are a lot of things that will prevent them from uh, going to the sky. One is the economy itself is slowing down. You know, the days of uh, economic growth at 4.5%, those days are over. It was in the second half of 2017. For 2018, we are seeing roughly 2% GDP growth if we are lucky. So that's not a very strong economy. Second, the dollar is still at about 78, 79 cents. The Bank of Canada is a bank with an agenda. They would like to see the dollar lower, not higher. So they would like to try to go slower than the Federal Reserves in the U.S. Then you have NAFTA. NAFTA is a big story, and I think that uh, the market is uh, in la-la land when it comes to NAFTA. I think that NAFTA is a major issue, and yes, we can discuss until we are blue in the face that it will be negative for the U.S. as well, but it's not about logic. Trump wants out, and he might go get out. So regardless what the solution is, I know that in the next six months, it will be a major issue impacting markets, and I think that that will be negative. And the Bank of Canada is already telling us that this uncertainty is playing a role in their decision-making process. And then we have the sensitivity to higher interest rates. You know, we know that uh, as a society, we are much more sensitive to the risk of higher interest rates than in any other time in recent history. So what I'm telling you here is that the disease is also the cure, namely the increased sensitivity to higher rates will prevent rates from rising to the sky. All those forces suggest that, yes, the Bank of Canada will move, but I think they will move very, very slowly. 
Now, one of the things that just came out also is there's a report that said that 47% of all mortgages are set to renew in 2018. Now, I, I found that interesting because, you know, in a lot of cases, we were, we were looking at people that were taking five-year terms, so that wouldn't make sense. So obviously, a lot of people are floating variable rate mortgages, short-term mortgages, one year, two year, that kind of thing, if we're going to have so many renew. Is this going to create a credit problem because we've had some increased rates? Uh, first of all, you're right. It's about 40 to 50 percent. Uh, remember, every year, 20 percent of those taking five years are renewing as well. So you're adding that to the variable rate, to the one and two years rates, and then you get roughly 50 percent of the market uh, uh, sensitive to higher rates. Absolutely. But then many of them have uh, some options. You know, if you look at people who have been in the market for a while, not new comers, but uh, not new uh, uh, home buyers, but rather, you know, people who have been in the market for a while in their late 30s, uh, early 40s, those people have been using, uh, taking advantage of low interest rates to accelerate their payments. Therefore, their de facto amortization went down dramatically. This means that if they face a situation in which rates are rising, they always have the, the, the option to uh, increase uh, amortization. And I think that will happen. So the yeah. impact is not so significant. Right. I've always said this, that uh, when people do take five-year mortgages, that they have to keep in mind that 15% of the mortgage will reduce within that time period. So upon renewal, if they then uh, stay to a 25-year amortization, they're actually going to be re renewing at a lower amount, which will then actually, they can actually work with a higher interest rate. And it's more than that. They actually have been accelerating payments. Uh, the rate at which people are prepaying is at a record high. So many Canadians deserve credit for not taking credit, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think you're the first person that's actually, I've heard say that, that actually give them credit for not taking credit. <laughs> well, Mr. Tall, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. And I want to wish you and your family all the best uh, for the new year. And definitely we'll, we'll have to chat in the new year. You too. All the best. You know, it's amazing how fast an hour goes by. And uh, I just want to thank my guest, Mr. Benjamin Tall. He is always a pleasure to have on. There we go. That's a wrap. This is the last one for 2017. And you know what? When I go back to 2017 there's so many people that i want to uh, to thank um greg Bennell, you know always a pleasure having him on from bnn romana king you know real estate expert editor writer awesome dave butler from butler mortgage uh, Mr. Benjamin Tall, a regular guest here with us, um, you know, uh, just just the array of people that have been joining us, um, you know, from the affiliates of Aria, you know, all the, the past presidents, current presidents, uh, Rico, you know, all of these people that have contributed to make this show simple and give you the week-to-week uh, -week information. And I just want to thank everybody for tuning in this year. Um, we're going to be back next year. That's right. You won't hear me until next year in 2018. At this time, I want to thank my, uh, my producer, Ian Grant, as usual. Ian has made it uh, a very simple show to make every single year with me, and I appreciate all his hard work. And most importantly, I want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be able to bring the information of real estate and break it down and make it as simple as possible. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. I want to wish you and your family all the best for 2018, and I'll be back next year. Have a great, great holiday, folks. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.